if you take our 12th century castle idea and just think of the worst case scenario, you know, we're out of thousands of dollars and the two of us are sitting alone in the 12th century castle, <laughs> sitting on a float in the swimming pool, drinking champagne, being like, damn it. We really messed this one up. Like we really, we really misjudged on this one. <laughs> and as far as worst case scenarios go, we're, we were pretty okay with that one. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you would like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the Patreon page for Half Hour Intern at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. You guys, I am so excited for you guys to hear today's episode. I did not know this couple going into this interview, and now I feel like I am fully in love with both of them. Uh, they are just the absolute coolest couple in the world, and they had the most wonderful idea to create a uh, sort of trip, retreat, tour. I don't even know what really properly to call it. Um, but anyways, a, a really special vacation for people that kind of falls somewhere in between a traditional tour, but nowhere near as as fast-paced or frantic as a usual tour to get a much deeper more enriching experience of a localized area, um, but while still having some things kind of planned out in a tour type of fashion. And they just completed their first one, and they're now planning their second one. And the first one that they did was in a town called Provence in France, and they actually stayed in a 12th century castle. And they had a, a relatively small group of people of 16 people and they brought their own chef and they cooked food for all of these people and all of the uh, like wine and special cocktails that were made were uh, just like free the entire time. So everyone could just really enjoy each other's company and just slow down. And they had different activities planned for everyone um, and workshops. And it, it honestly sounds like one of the most incredible weeks that I've ever uh, heard of in my entire life. It just sounds so, so amazing. And this is like the most amazing couple that could possibly do something like this. So um, I'm sure after hearing this, you guys will be interested in possibly attending the next one, which uh, at the end of the interview, they will explain where the next one is going to be and how that is all going to go down. Um, but it's such a cool, interesting story about how they came up with this idea and then just the logistics of following through with all of this to try to give people a more enriching vacation experience. So without further ado, here is Movable Feast Retreats. Tim, Laura, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, awesome, guys. Uh, so, so that I can even like ask other questions in the interview, if you could please tell everyone about Movable Feast. When I went on your guys' website and I read about it, it's possibly the coolest sounding thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, the writing on your website is exquisite. Like your pictures, the branding, like everything is just so, so perfect and gives such a good idea. I feel like of, of what you guys are about and what this, tr these trips are about and everything. Um, but for people that haven't been to your website yet, tell us what it's all about. First of all, thank you. It's very nice. <laughs> so movable feast, uh, is, um, 
an idea that we came up with as we were traveling around the world that every culture and every country seems to have its own innate wisdom and rhythm and uh, its own awesome way of doing things. And we wanted to create a trip that that celebrated uh, all of this wisdom the world has to offer. You know, Hemingway has this book, A Movable Feast, which he wrote uh, near the time of his death. Um, but he wrote it about his time in Paris in his in his early 20s. And what he said was that if you had the time to live in Paris as a young man, you've got to do it because for him, Paris was a movable feast. In other words, like the philosophies, way of life that he learned in Paris for the rest of his life stuck with him. And we think that pretty much every country has those things to offer. So we wanted to create a trip that where we could go to a different country every year and really explore what that country had to offer um, and find all of the many things that we could be able to bring home with us to feast on for years to come. And the other part of that is that I think it can be quite difficult when you're traveling to land in a place if you have a short vacation time, like most people do, um, and really understand what's going on, what the history of it is, how they eat, why they, you know, behave in certain ways or whatever it is. And um, to have a short amount of time for vacation and not be able to dive into that, we wanted to remedy that a bit and do that legwork and present these cultures in a way that... um, would make you feel like you actually had more than just a quick vacation on the beach or wherever it is that you would actually get a sense, a strong sense of what the place is all about. Yeah, that's so cool. It's so awesome. And so my wife and I have done a few tours in countries and it's funny because people always like, I feel like knock tours like, oh, that's like not the real way to travel. And I'm always like, first of all, you're being rude. (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) you're also being kind of dumb about the whole thing because I I enjoy tours because you get to experience so much and you see so many things. And then if you ever want to go back to that country one day, you can like slow it down, but you'll know kind of what you want to check out. Or maybe if if you go to a tour that does many countries over the course of a few weeks, then you know which countries kind of are more your vibe or something. You know, it's like kind of like a speed dating with an area or something. And then there's the idea of going to a country with kind of no plans in mind and just Mm -hmm. taking it really slow and like feeling things out. But to your point, Laura, if you only have uh, like one to two weeks vacation time and you go somewhere with kind of no plans, it's very easy to imagine looking back after a couple weeks and being like, dang, I just kind of went out to restaurants like near the hostels I was staying or whatever. And like, that was kind of my thing. And there was nothing organized whatsoever. Um, And so it sounds like what you guys are doing is somewhere in between the two, like a slower and more deep dive than than a typical tour, um, but a little bit more involved than just like being totally laissez faire, like, oh, I'm just going to go and be, you know. Exactly. We really feel like you miss out in a certain way on both sides. Like we've all seen the groups with the, you know, the little person in front holding the umbrella or whatever, so they know who to follow. And they're kind of like walking around glassy eyed and that kind of tour. I think when you feel like you're going to be spoon fed a lot of stuff, you don't actually absorb as much unless you're doing a little bit of the work on your own. But then exactly what you're saying about like, I just like got a cheap hostel and didn't know where to go. And um, I feel like if you are too far on either extreme, it's really hard to get a good sense and spend your time wisely. So we wanted to land in the middle and have it be accessible to both, you know, both sides of the coin. I think too, there are two, uh, there's two big things that we like to, to, to do. And one of them is, is often if you're just going, you're either staying at a hostel or maybe you're staying at a hotel. Um, and now with Airbnb, like sometimes you can get a very local experience staying at 
an apartment or a studio or something in Paris. But uh, we feel like one of the big things with Mouvel Feast is that we want to find accommodations that you would never be able to stay at unless you're coming with us. So, you know, we, we started in France and, and we stayed at uh, a castle that's that was uh, 12th century originally and still had a lot of its 12th century trappings. And then had in the 1700s, and you know, the Marie Antoinette era had an updated parts of it. So there's this grand staircase that's from the 1700s. And it's never the kind of place that you would be able to stay at had you not had, you know, 20 of your newest, bestest friends to stay there with you. The other element that we really try to play up is that we find a few core philosophies that uh, of the country um, that really tell a, a deeper story than just the word. And, you know, one of the things I loved in France was this word flané, which to an American, we have no idea what it means. And to a Frenchman, if you explain it, they sort of laugh a little bit and they, of course, they flané. Yeah, like flané, that's just a part of life. <laughs> like, why is it even worth stating? And the word flané, it's uh, was is is a verb that means like the 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 act of of taking a stroll with no destination in mind and slowing down just to look at all the beauty that this world has to offer. And it was immensely popular with the 19th century poets in in Paris, but. On a Sunday, when everything's closed in most parts of France, you can't even like you know go to the grocery store because it's closed. Um, your job is to spend time with with family or to take a flané to walk through town and uh, enjoy all of the beautiful things with your backyard that you often miss. Um, and it's not something that we understand in the states. Sundays for us are filled with making sure you have the brunch appointment, and then you have your ultimate frisbee game, and then your soccer league, and then you have to get back. Uh, you know, it, we tend to schedule our leisure time, you know, to the to the minute, to the hour, as opposed to just allowing ourselves a little bit more space to find some freedom to do something as simple as as taking a walk, not knowing where you're going. Right. Well, or unfortunately, nowadays, <laughs> even if you have not scheduled things for yourself and you happen to find yourself walking to get somewhere, you know, whatever it is, um, technology has taken so much of our attention away from the world, you know, so yeah. it's like you're walking somewhere and you're checking your email or like if you're me, you're checking your fantasy football updates, you know, so yeah. you can just be crushing everyone um, or, you know, your Facebook or like whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's such a hard thing to, to have, I guess, like in today's world. Um, yeah. So, all right. Let's talk a little bit about coming up with the idea and then actually like moving, th going through with it and like trying to make this thing happen and the logistics of everything. Because I, I just... First of all, I would love to know what made you guys actually follow through with this and yeah. like the onus to do yeah. this and everything because there's like <laughs> ambitious ideas that we have sometimes where you're like, oh man, like it, it would just be so rad to have like a flying car. And then you're just like, <laughs> yeah, like someone should do that. And then you just go on with your day, you know? And I feel like it could be like, this would be like the best type of trip as if it was like this, this, and this. And then you're like, yeah, like I hope somebody else does that sometime. Anyways, like on with the rest of my day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what we really have started realizing since starting our photography business that the world doesn't just happen. Like people actually have to make it happen. And I think that I mean, you understand this. It's like if you're in the if you're in a job of creating something, you you look at the world completely differently. And if there's something that you want to have happen, you have to be the one to do it. It sounds so cliché, but you have to be the one to do the thing. So, I my favorite quote from Movable Feast is I read it when I was 22 and it's always stuck with me, but he talks about their day-to-day -day life. And he says, we ate well and cheaply and we drank well and cheaply and we slept well and warm and loved each other. 
And I was like, wow, that's how I want to live my life. And that is also how I want to vacation because I want to eat well. And food is so important to us. Like when we were traveling, we took a six month honeymoon in Asia, which is when the idea sort of took form. But like our big concern was food and not expensive food, not fancy food, the best food wherever we were. And often in most places in the world, that's on the street. Um, but we're not opposed to spending money if it's something very a gorgeous experience or things like that. We were like, oh, we would love to bring all of these philosophies. Like we are more than happy eating street tacos or if it's a great restaurant, like we'll spend the money, but we don't want to just spend money for the sake of spending money. Totally. And we think a lot of people feel like you have to, because if you don't know any better, you're going to end up at whatever shitty restaurants near your hostel. Um, so we were, start, I think that's what started the gears turning of like, how can we clarify the way we travel and share it with people who we know would appreciate it? So I would love to know like how you get the word out for something like this. So now you've like committed to it. You're like, yeah, like this is something awesome. We need to share this vision with people. Like how, how do you share that with people? How does anyone hear about this thing? Yeah. Well, to, first of all, I think that I had a really, I battle fear a lot. Um, and being scared to have great ideas and actually have them fail is a big thing for me. And I think that it might be a little different for women than for men, because I think that Tim's balance of like, Oh, what the fuck? Like, we'll just do it. It's no big deal. <laughs> like is really important to me and not to like blame it all on gender, but I feel like for the first time I was like, okay, I want to see my life not as how can I plan properly for the next five years, but looking back on it as a 95 year old woman thinking, gosh, I wish I would have done that crazy idea that I had when I was you know, young and had all the time in the world. And so I think that mental switch for me of how do I want my, like, my memoirs to read as opposed to how do I want to make sure that I'm set up comfortably for the next decade was huge totally. for me to like, be able so to great. be on that page of like putting the deposit down. Um, and from there, it's just about writing the check to reserve the place. And then you're like, well, shit, like we have to do it now. <laughs> and now we got to fill this thing out. Yeah, exactly. Like that panic of like putting the money down that's non-refundable was a huge kick in the ass. And I feel like sometimes you just have to do the thing that's scary. Did you I'm guys try to get people totally to sign up before even putting down the deposit? No. Or no, you like kind of no. needed the place to be able to show we, people like this we, is yes. what we got? It's like a catch-22 of like you have to do the thing to be able to advertise no. it. And we hadn't. I still am just kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened because... People trusted us, and that is huge. And you think about the risk of, you get the flying car idea. What can I do to make this flying car happen? And so then suddenly you're, you know, if you play it out to the worst case scenario, you've spent however many millions of dollars, and you're sitting there with just these kind of crazy cartoonish plans for this <laughs> flying car with no uh, with no te actual techno technological breakthrough to back it up. If you take our 12th century castle idea and just think of the worst case scenario, you know, we're out of... Uh, thousands of dollars and the two of us are sitting alone in the 12th century castle <laughs> sitting on a float in the swimming pool drinking champagne being like damn it we really messed this one up like we really we really misjudged on this one <laughs> and as far as worst case scenarios go we're, we were pretty okay with that one yeah um but uh so from there to get the word out yes um social media intensely helpful um i was a career yoga teacher for a decade before we ever announced this so we were used to doing yoga retreats which are totally different because most of the time they're sort of all inclusive and my job as a yoga teacher for them is just to teach yoga but this was a totally bigger thing where every element but we already had the infrastructure to advertise those um from there we have a big belief that uh 
movable feast is not a demographic because we had all ages. Our, our youngest was 20 and our oldest was in her 60s. And uh, what we're looking for is a, is a psychographic. And that psychographic is the people who don't just want to show up in a town with no plans. They also don't want to follow someone holding an umbrella. They want they want that awesome part in between where they can learn uh, rhythms, philosophies, core ways of life of a place, but also have their own time to, uh, you know, take a walk to read their book and, and explore on their own. Um, it's so important. So, I'm so happy to hear you say that because that's missing so much from like, I, I feel like modern marketing and modern business and everything like everyone wants to know like exactly what you said like what's your demographic of this like how mm-hmm. many how many people are listening well how many are men and how many are women and it's like yeah. like look people are people and if you get if you get like this really rad 20 year old girl in a room and this really rad like 60 year old man in a room there might be some like amazing relationship exactly. there and some amazing yeah. things to talk about you know and it's it's always so funny like when there's a well-spoken like 20 year old who has these cool ideas or something and it's always like oh you're so old for your age or you're so whatever yeah, and it's yeah. like no like people are kind person. of are who they are you know like <laughs> yeah. and you can feel that that's when so someone's 20 and obviously that's not going to leave them when they're 60 you know like yeah. um yeah. so yeah that's, that's so really great that point. that's what and you guys are going for that was a big point of fear for me though, because I did feel like there's a certain way to like do a business and everyone's like, Oh, what's the demographic? And I'm like, wow, we don't have a demographic. Like we (laughs) really strongly believe that like business does not have to be based on demographics. And we believe that these people are out here, but we have no examples in our lives of people who have targeted a psychographic. Like, so we kind of had to, I keep talking about battling fear. I don't feel like you felt it, but like trust that that instinct was right. And, um, because that's what I want to create. I want to be around people who, um, who are just are down for the flan, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I want to be, I don't care how old they are. I want them to be around me. And so I was hoping that other people felt the same way. Yeah. And the other sort of <laughs> exact logistical element is that, uh, you know, the two of us met because of blogs and I've been working with and for blogs for years. So the first thing that I thought of is, is, uh, you know, what, what is the psychographic and where, what blogs do they read? So immediately there's a few that came to mind. Uh, so we, we worked with a blog called paper planes blog, which is based out of Thailand. And, uh, she has a huge traveler demographic and talks a lot about travel philosophy. So we both guest posted on hers and then, you know, she posted about it. And then also another blog based out of New York is reading my tea leaves, um, which is sort of a minimal, finding beauty and simplicity blog and we posted and you know flané is a beautiful concept but could not be more simple so we did a we did a guest post for her as well and i would say those two blogs in particular um really started getting traffic to our site and after traffic came to our site um it was just a matter of making sure that we had the right uh images and copy to uh get people get people hooked now if we're trying to give out any advice to people like i assume you probably already had you you mentioned your history with blogs and stuff did you already have relationships with these people or did you just reach out and be like hey so and so that i totally don't know i i'm starting this cool thing like do you want to can i write on your website right now and they're just like look dude i have like 10 million people writing me every month to you know write on my website yeah i think that uh we we do know these people outside like outside of the offer but our big thing in everything we do is if we're contacting someone and asking for something like, can we write on your blog? Like that's asking them for basically free advertising. So we're all about value added. Like if you're not bringing value to everybody's life, who you're coming in contact with, then why would they 
bother. So we want to make sure that we're always, you know, if it's like taking a new spin on something that they already talk about, but it's kind of knowing who they are and what they're about and what would help their brand as well, Mm -hmm. um, help round things out for on their end and not just feeling like you're like, nobody owes us anything. Nobody owes us a, a damn thing. And so it's kind of like, how can we make people's product or lives better just by contributing and not just asking for stuff. Yeah. And with, with especially reading my tea leaves, um, Aaron Boyle, I hadn't seen for over a decade. We weren't really in touch. And, uh, I sent her a note and it was just, I still read her blog. I'm a fan of her blog. And so I you know, wrote her a note saying, you know, these are the things that I've loved reading recently. I know you and your family, you talked about taking a trip to France. I've got this thing coming up in France. I've got this awesome idea. And while you're traveling, this might help you, you know, you can put a blog post up so you don't have to write it while you're on the plane or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she, she'd never had a get guest blog post before. And so I was the first. So it's sort of like one, be a legit human and uh, like, just be real with folks to actually read what they're up to and make sure that you fit into that, that world. Um, yeah. And three, talk about how you're, potential works into what they're already working with. And I think people, if you're a legit human, uh, respond well. Yeah, definitely, man. So let's get back to you guys. How did you choose France? How did you choose province? How did you choose this castle? Like, how was the the first mm-hmm. spot chosen amongst everything you guys could have done? Tim, take it away. This is like your, yeah. this is your heart. Um, so you mentioned earlier when you're when you're visiting a few countries at a time, you sort of get a taste of each one and which one you want to go back to. And that trip first happened for me when I was 18. It was the first time I left the country, and it was just a friend and I plopped down in Europe, jumping from place to place. And so much of it was a blur, but for some reason, uh, France stuck with me as um, definitely a place worth returning to. And I loved the culture in Paris. I loved that when we would sit down at a cafe uh, next to you know, two French people who had just ordered an espresso, it was literally impossible to outsit them in the cafe. It's like two hours. <laughs> they're still on their like ounce of espresso and they're talking, they're observing, they're watching the world go by. Yeah. And that, that sort of life didn't, I'd never seen anything like it. And then when I visited Provence for the first time and seeing the lavender fields and tasting the food and getting this fig that was the size of like a sweet potato and the, the texture and taste, it was unlike anything I'd ever had. And I knew that it was somewhere I needed to come back to. So um, you know, I did study abroad programs. And then after graduating, I lived and worked in France for a couple of years. And uh, France is just the, it has a huge part of my heart because the first time I came to the south of France, I had rented a place that was about, I don't know, an hour and a half long walk from the uh, from the train station. And I was so young at the time and I, it, was, it was it was inconceivable to ever take a taxi. So with my backpack strapped on me and the beating sun coming down. I walked all the way an hour and a half and finally found this, like, they call it a moss, which is just an old farmhouse that I was staying in. And uh, there was no food anywhere. There was no food within walking distance, no town nearby. And the town that was closest, everything was closed because it was Sunday and you're supposed to spend with your family and go for a flané. Um, but the owner did tell me, she gave me a ride and said, oh, there's this family. And she dropped me off at this family's house and they... Have a, had a few daughters and they would make pizzas every Sunday and they would just throw pizzas in the pizza oven that was outside. And the whole like community from the surrounding areas would sort of come together. And sometimes it would get quiet and they'd talk amongst themselves. And sometimes they'd all come together and sing a song and pound on the tables and drink another bottle of wine. And I remember thinking like, what, what do these people know that I don't like, what are these people, what do they have figured out about how to do a life that uh, is so, so foreign to me. And ever since then I had a, 
I wouldn't call it Francophilia because I'm not. There's a lot of the like classic French culture stuff that is uh, is is great, but it's not what I'm into. But there's there's a heart to especially the south of France that I've always been totally drawn to. And so when we came up with this idea, it was the culture that that I knew best and that I was so darn anxious to introduce to the world. Yeah, I love it, man. For the very first time. For the very first time. No one's I heard was of the France. France. No, no one's no heard of France before. Yeah, you'd never heard of France. <laughs> So you're welcome, world. <laughs> yeah. So, so I something that I identify with so much um, with what you were just saying, and like a part of something on your blog uh, where so on this trip, all of the alcohol is paid for, which for mm-hmm. American people uh, or Australian people or <laughs> certain certain demographics in the yeah. world is can be like a, a, a dangerous thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. love the way that you discuss it on the thing of like, that this is supposed to be not like, oh, th- it's like this so we can just like party into the night and whatever. But so like you, you ha- had that Hemingway quote earlier about like having these like loving long evenings by the fire, like whatever it is. And it's like, um, it, I, you know, there's certain cultures that just get that so well that the mm-hmm. alcohol is not a means to uh, to inebriation, but alcohol is a means to uh, just like really slow down and enjoy your time with people and like really connect with people and like really enjoy it, you know, like really enjoy your bottle of wine or like whatever is happening. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Tim, it makes so much sense, like what you were saying about uh, just like yeah, this cultural thing where like this is this perfect place to to bring people to and to uh, get people mm-hmm. to slow down and and get people to like appreciate all that's happening. Yeah, I think especially with alcohol, um, having and we, it, we say on the website that we classically consume only the local liqueurs. Um, one because it's so fun to be introduced to new things that you didn't usually know, but the connection with seeing you know we were surrounded by all these vineyards. And knowing the amount of work that goes into creating a beverage, I think immediately will slow you down. Whereas opposed to, you know, when you just see like a 24 pack of Bud Light or something, like there's not like a connection to the farmer, to how it was made, to like the the delicate care that went into making it. And this like chartreuse is a great example. The 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 we had a happy hour with a chartreuse um, in in a hot chocolate, and chartreuse is this liqueur that's been made by Cartesian monks. For hundreds of years and it's made in the town of chartreuse which is 45 minutes from the castle and it's got a million different herbs and botanicals and there are two monks at any given time that know the recipe and each of them know half of it and they each make their half and then they combine it um, that's the most but, incredible thing i've ever heard in my entire life it's nuts like, it's this like stuff is crazy it's like when you're in like uh like a doomsday movie how when you need to like launch the atomic bomb it's like each person has a key and they have to like put it in and turn <laughs> yeah. their key you know yeah. like that's the extent these people are going to to make booze that's amazing yeah, yeah. it's not like a factory where it's just yeah and so like, just having that connection and, and having that sense of uh here comes the frenchy word terroir um i feel like just will force you to slow down and actually taste and actually it's not drink responsibly because at the end of the day, we uh, we named our, our our retreat after a Hemingway book. So uh, you can you can drink irresponsibly too, but um, just be cool about it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, I, um, I I to your point about the psychographic and stuff like that. It's like. I, yeah, like you go ahead and drink irresponsibly if if you if that's if that's if 
if you if you can do that and be cool, you know, or I, I don't know. I, I don't really well, know how to say what just I'm saying. To, but. Just yeah. to stick with Hemingway, uh, to finish my thought, is saying that um, he, he, he would always say that he could never drink so much the night before that he wouldn't be able to get up and write the morning after. And, uh, um, you know, alcohol is, is, uh, is, a, is an incredibly culturally rich thing. As long as that is uh, sort of at the peak of how you're consuming it, I I, uh, I think it can be an excellent thing. Yeah. So how many people went on this first trip that you guys did? Uh, we had 16 guests and six staff. Okay. And round one. Six staff on your end, you're saying? Not like, mm-hmm. yeah. okay, cool. And are is this thing grows... Do you, have you guys talked about already like will you have to cap the number of people that can sign up or is it going to be like oh well then we'll just find bigger places or what yeah we talked about that today because i do think that you lose a bit of the soul of something if it's a huge tour group a lot of it is contingent on location like we have our spot ready um to go for the next one and it's going to be a smaller group because that's just the coolest possible spot we could find and so rather than try to amp it up and like we could probably go quite a lot bigger next time but we want it to retain that intimacy. character and the intimacy of and we also want to know people like we don't want it to be just a huge group that we're like oh didn't actually get a chance to talk with you and i yeah i don't know i don't think we would want to set a number because if the right opportunity and the right spot came around and we could do it thoughtfully then we just want to do things carefully the right way basically. yeah yeah absolutely and with the first one, and then I guess with this next one as well, like when you knew with the first one, like, all right, we want this to be in the south of France. What what did you guys do? Like, did you guys just Google like dope spots in the south of France? <laughs> or like, did you guys just go backpacking around the south of France, just looking at everything and like knocking on doors being like, could we rent your castle? No. Okay. Yeah. Next okay, door. All right. I'll walk over castle. there. Yeah. <laughs> that looks like a castle. <laughs> no. Um, so uh, with this first one, you know, we now have, after the first one, the ability to actually visit the location, scout everything. And I, I guess you could say that I scouted South of France years ago, but not with the retreat in mind. And I have been, for lack of a better word, Googling castles in the South of France <laughs> for probably 10 years now. This stream has been sort of percolating. And uh, finally, a lot of the times you'll find a castle that is absolutely beautiful, but um, has like tons of tchotchkes all over the walls and like old granny bedspreads and like the interior design is not at all. It's like disrespectful. You're like, wow, you have a 12th century castle and you're putting a freaking doily on like <laughs> the table. Uh, like get yeah, real. Yeah. So um, we wanted to find the right, not only the right spot, but the right, vibe. I don't know, like people who got it. And so this chateau that we found was, uh, in the middle of a, an incredibly old town. It was the center of the old town, but it, it's like the perfect little provincial town. There's the one cafe, there's two restaurants, there's the one little corner shop where you can get your aubergines. Um, but for the most part, it was just this quiet, idyllic little town, and the old ladies would walk down the street carrying their baguette. It couldn't have gotten better. Um, but the chateau itself, we chose it because it wasn't originally a rental property for them. It was uh, it was a family home that the father had been refurbishing for the past 50 years. And now that he had passed, they sort of needed a way to uh, to continue his vision while keeping um, costs, uh, you know, doable for them. So when we finally found this one online, the the energetics of it were just perfect and we knew that it was i mean it was the right size right spot right village it was surrounded by all of my favorite towns surrounded by vineyards and it was sort of like really clear 
that we had found our spot. So I feel like such a big thing with all of this is like, I feel like it keeps coming back to uh, like that term that you used much earlier, but like psychographics and, and like using the term vibe and whatever else it's like when you guys are trying to uh, picture the type of person that will sign up for this, it's like, okay, well maybe it's like this type of vibe of person or this like psychographic. And with the, in terms of like alcohol and this and that, it's like, okay, well we should have like these types of, of people and people like not necessarily people that just want to get crazy that are there, you mm-hmm. know? And then, uh, when it comes to finding the place, it's like, you know, you mentioned how uh, you can't have like a 12th century castle with this like tacky stuff all over the place. It's like, okay, so you need again, like the right vibe. And I, I, I was saying earlier, but like, I, I really can't compliment you guys enough on the website because I feel like your guys' website conveys a vibe and a brand so strongly that ideally it's one of things, those things where they say like, you know, you put out a certain vibe and like that same vibe will kind of come back to you. Do you find that that's what happened? And without like obviously naming any names or throwing anyone under the bus, like did anybody sign up? They like when they showed up, it was like, oh, interesting that that person signed up because it's like we're all here at this. The other 18 of us are at this exact same vibe. And then this one person here is like, that's interesting that they even saw like the photos and the copy that we had on the website. And they're like, yeah, that's what I want to do because they're just kind of not the same vibe. Um, I do think that people were individual. I don't think really polite way to put it, Laura. No, I'm not. (laughs) I was really surprised because, you know, you start something like this and you're like, okay, who's going to be the wild card? Yeah. And everybody was unique and i think they're for maybe their own specific reasons but that's going to be like that no matter what you create or what you do that everyone's going to bring their own flavor to it um and i was really pleasantly surprised because i really thought it would be there'd be i don't know uh, i'll i'll piggyback on that uh and just say that um we we really try to write all of our copies if we're writing to our best friend and not like we're trying to write to a group, group. of a hub thousand people because it changes the way you speak changes the way you write changes the way you carry yourself and i do think that everyone who came on the trip talked about and responded to um you know we we have uh, there's an irreverence to our stuff we tell really stupid jokes but at the same time there's a depth and and uh you know we, we tend to see the world uh with as much metaphor as we can so that's an aspect of it too um and so within that, the people who came, I feel like got it. And they, there was almost like an instant, I don't want to say respect, but there was an instant respect for uh, the nature of the trip and what we were trying to accomplish. And we didn't have to explain that because they were already on board. Yeah. yeah. I think we learned that with the photography thing. I don't know. This might be a total side note, but um, we really feel like the more we put ourselves out there in a really individual way, the more people will find us and people will always ask us like, Oh, do you guys work with bridezillas all the time? And I we're like, we've never met one because I don't think anything about our photography website or how we share ourselves online, like invites that. And so mm-hmm. I do think that you kind of like what you're saying, like you get what you put out there um, in a very tangible way. It's been, it surprises me every time that you're like, wow, like they saw that or that was something that I would throw a line or something, but they read it. So let's talk about any of the, uh, like negatives or difficulties that you guys face with this entire thing. So I imagine, as you guys mentioned earlier, that your biggest concern heading into it is just like, holy crap, what if no one signs up and we're just chilling in a castle by ourselves? Yeah. What ended up actually being like, obviously that was not a problem. Um, so what was like the biggest hurdle that you guys actually had to overcome when you guys were trying to plan all this out? 
I think the hardest part for me is, you know, like in the in the 12th century main room, it has this giant fireplace that you could probably fit 20 people into. And we lit the entire thing in candlelight, 300 candles going, big fireplace, and, and it felt like you were living in the 12th century. And I'd walk into this room, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I was almost in tears at just the fact that we got to do this dream. But at the same time, I was, co- you know, carrying 15 plates down a down an uneven set of stairs. And the constant motion is what kept some of the emotion uh, in check for us. Uh, just because we, we, I would say the hardest part is that to make a dream come true, especially first time around, you just kind of do the work. Yeah, you got to work oh, really yeah. hard. It's not like you yeah. guys got there and you guys just chilled out the whole time. And- yeah, you cannot be afraid of the work. And um, we were, we were blessed all. to have the four people on the team that we did. You know, the, sh- the chef, the sous chef, and, and our two uh, fellow feasters who... Uh, everyone had to step up their game and just everyone worked their total asses off and we were so blown away by them. So finding a good team and surrounding yourself with good people is huge. Wow. That's amazing. So you guys brought your own chef. You guys didn't rely on uh, your own two chefs. I should say you guys didn't rely on like the castle to provide that. No, no, we wanted, we really want food to be a central point in all of these retreats. And we have to put a lot more into that than just having whoever's on site, no matter where we are. That's super uh, cool. The chef is from the Midwest and worked in fine dining in the Midwest, was the head chef at a really sort of fancy farm-to-table restaurant, and was working 80, 90 hours a week and said, no more of this, he quit, and he flew off. Um, and we met him after like two hours outside of a town, 45 minutes down this dirt road that you can only get through on a scooter as we pulled into a farm on the Burmese high border. <laughs> And he was sitting there reading a book um, and it was right after we had launched the idea and we needed a chef for it. And he was just the best. We were the only three people on this farm. And we took, we got deep into talking about food philosophy and the whole trip. And wait, how'd you guys set up this meeting? Like, how'd you hear about him or find him in the first place? No, it was, we literally drove our scooter to a farm on the Burmese type. Oh, you didn't know he was going to be there. No, total kismet. It really Dude, was. I love and that. It's, it's one of those things of when you put, if you have this idea that's happening on a shoulder on your, on your shoulder and uh, you decide to, to go into biz with that idea and make something happen. Um, I feel like the universe responds to your yeses. And oh man. Will, uh, will start to make the world happen for you. That's There's, our core philosophy. I love that. There's nothing better than that. I, around the time that I quit my job um, and like had this idea for this podcast and I, just wrote about this in this interview that I did. So I apologize for anyone that's read this interview, but I I'm a huge fan of this guy, Wayne Dyer. And he talks mm, about, um, totally. one of the things that he talks about is like that, that there's no coincidences. The things that you view as a coincidence are two things that were supposed to line up in that way, you know? And mm. it, when I, when I, after a year of sitting on this podcast idea and not wanting to, and being kind of like too afraid to work on it and letting my, my real job like take up all my time and not like taking the time to do it. After a year of just like sitting on this idea, finally, uh, cause I was like listening to a bunch of Wayne Dyer and stuff. I got all inspired and I was like, all right, I'm going to write down the five jobs that I would like or hobbies that I would most want to interview like my top five. And then later on, this was on a Monday. I was like, later on this week, I'm going to take the time to like actually try to track down people to do these things. And, you know, maybe set up some interviews. We'll see what happens. So that morning I write down my top five jobs and uh, then I had to go to work for the day. 
And it worked for that day. I had a lunch at a doctor's office about an hour away from my house. So I uh, call up the doctor's office. I'm like, hey, what kind of food do you guys want for lunch? And they're like, we want Chinese food. And no one had ever asked me for Chinese food before. I- I've been a medical <laughs> device rep for like four years. No one had ever asked me for Chinese food because it's kind of unhealthy, like, you know, right, mainstream yeah. Chinese food in America. And so doctor's offices just don't ask for that. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I don't know any Chinese food places near you. Could you recommend one then? And they're like, we don't know one either. And it's like, well, that's funny that you would ask for Chinese food, but you don't even know a place. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. So I go on Yelp and I just choose the very first one near them on Yelp that allows for pickup. So I uh, I go to this place to pick up the food that's like an hour away from my house. And next door to the Chinese food place is a store called Bird Watching, just like in huge words over the like. And that was the number one thing that I had written on my list, no which is a really weird way. number one thing. But that was my yeah. n- not even like on the list. It was the number one thing I wanted like, to interview was with somebody who's into bird watching. And it's next door to the Chinese food restaurant. The day I was like, maybe I should start working on this again. And I'm listening to yeah. Wayne Dyer who talks about things aren't coincidence. So one week after that, I quit my job. That was that because it was yeah. like, Love there's that. no way there's no way that this happened and that i'm not supposed to do this podcast you know and it's like so great that you guys are like okay i think we should do this thing and then like not that long after this idea you bump into this chef who's like fed up with his whole thing and then he oh my god it's just like it's so amazing if you keep your eyes open to things like that Mm -hmm. happening in your life because that is like life trying to guide you i feel like hopefully Mm -hmm. in a certain direction that like look you gotta do this like you can't not do this now you know Absolutely. And any, That's a great story. I could not agree more. Anytime awesome. you say yes to something and just keep saying yes, the universe will respond. Yeah. Um, whatever, whatever the universe is. <laughs> whatever yeah, the universe we're, is. We're very into saying yes. The just other yes to whatever is tapping you on the shoulder and you'll always be surprised yeah. by the bird watching stores that are next to the Chinese food restaurant <laughs> that yeah. no one knew about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's a, a funny thing with our chef, and we just, and, you know, like we were sitting in Thailand talking about the French mother sauces and everything, and he and he's he's got a thing where if, when you're cooking, if you're not laughing by the end of it, you're not doing it right. Um, but he, we went to this market and we bought um, a whole bunch of of duck because he was going to uh, confit the duck, and then at the end of the week, after it had been confiting for a week, uh, was going to make a duck cassoulet. So we, you know, we buy all this duck and, and ever, the butchers are very confused as to why these, you know, three punk American kids were coming in and buying like all the ducks. All the ducks. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he cast a late, or he, he confies the duck. And then at the end of, you know, we had explained the idea of the concept of terroir, of all things local and everything. And at the end of the week, he puts the duck down on the table, says, I'm not even going to tell you what this is. All I'll, all I'll tell you is that it's terroir is shit. And then says, you know, have fun. And I feel like that kind of, lack of pretension but like, totally giving a shit but totally like he, he cared for that freaking duck cassoulet every day for a week in order to have it be and i think it's the most delicious thing i've ever eaten he still talks about it but <laughs> just to lay it on the table and be like eat it figure it out it's terroir is shit yeah it's like you know it, we can explain things later but the exploration and the fun uh needs to be there and, and i feel like our chef just chef johnny uh, just got it. He hates being called Chef Johnny. He's going to be so <laughs> mad when he hears that. Is Johnny the last guy on your list of people on the website? Yeah. Uh, he okay. Is. He's the, the cool one. Okay. So, yeah. First of all, so hip. Second of all, uh, like, 
I, I should. I wish I was wearing right now one of my two lost T-shirts that I could show you from the lost <laughs> lost uh, memorabilia auction in Santa Monica that I went to. Yeah. But I love <laughs> I love the last sentence of like thinks that John Locke from Lost has a pretty good point. Like first of all, point. it's like which point are you referring to? Like second of all, uh, like that's just so awesome. I because I, like. I oh man that show is still so good and sticks with me so much and like I, I like periodically things will happen in my life where like I'll be like oh my gosh do you watch Lost because you know something will have just this happened is is, yeah and and they're just like nah dude and and by the way <laughs> even if they did about? watch Lost it's like man that was off air like seven years ago or something like come on what are You're you talking still about on it yeah like, yeah I think little glimpses of personality like that are so important like when we were having our team write their bios we were like don't be like and then they did this and then they did this because like who gives a shit like John those John. little glimpses into your personality are so much more important and I, think. I assume and look it looks that. like you guys have one writer that was that like one of you guys that actually took their bio and then like everything was done with the same voice? It wasn't like a lot of times you read bios on a website and yeah. it's like, oh, they're just putting everyone's self-written bio next to each other. Yeah. It seems I like you guys. Yeah, okay. We sent yeah. them the template and then uh, had what they were doing and, and just switched it a little bit. But John Locke, that John Locke line. That's, that's all, all that, Johnny. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. I love it. Uh, so I would imagine that there were tons of surreal moments for you guys on this first trip where it's just like holy shit like we're getting paid to do this right now holy shit like i can't believe we're in a castle these people holy shit like these people are here because of us and we're here because of us and like this thing has all happened what would yeah, you well, say is um if there was any like w- number one moment of the mm-hmm. entire thing where like you just felt so incredibly like blessed and fortunate to be in the situation that you were in what oh would gosh. that be we have the exact moment we talked about this this morning like so uh, yeah, we're, we're sitting there on this sort of sun deck surrounded by turrets where you can shoot arches off of, and there's like a swimming pool over there. And, arrows, uh, you can shoot arrows. Can shoot, yeah. Did I Tim's, say darts? Uh, you said arches, but Tim's Sorry. not a warrior. He's more of like a poet. Yeah, so yeah totally. He would have been really bad in battle. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I would have talked about the battle. Before. He's just throw, <laughs> throwing little arches off of the thing. Everyone's <laughs> like, like, dude, you're not, you're not helping at all. You need to go get some arrows, <laughs> for God's sake. Back to the basement. Like, <laughs> So you can shoot arrows off this, this, these turrets and everything, and, and I'm about to give a talk about Flanet and, and the 20th century poets and sort of the rhythm of, of the south of France that I love. And we've got the chartreuse made in the super thick hot chocolate ready, and we were going to open some champagne because the sun had come out and it was warm, and we were all gathered here, and we just had this awesome photography lesson, and so everyone was sitting there like trying to play with manual, and uh, there's this guy, Chip, who is a bigger-than-life personality and, and always brings the party. And he brings up that he knows how to saber. No, I told him to do it. Oh, gosh. Sorry. So I was like, Chip, you're sabering off this champagne bottle. <laughs> like, it has to happen. And he's like, I've never done it. I, okay. <laughs> the only thing we had was in the, from the 12th century castle, we had a 12th century sword that weighed like 90 pounds. And so he's <laughs> sitting here trying to saber this champagne. It's not really working. Then suddenly everyone just goes, all right, Chip, you got this. And everyone counts one, two, three, and boom, it pops off, explodes all over the place. There's pouring champagne. Everyone's cheering and uh, it's sunny. It's sunny at the same time. Everyone's just sort of contented to talk about, uh, you know, what Baudelaire was talking about in the late 1800s, which is Tim's dream. Talk about Baudelaire. (laughs) In terms of surreal moments, that's that's up there for like top five of my life: champagne spilling, chartreuse drinking, laughing, and and uh, talking about how to do life well. Yeah, all well. 
sitting on the rooftop overlooking the, the hilltops of Provence. Like that moment was the moment that we were thinking, okay, it actually like the the literal dream that we had actually happened. We did and a thing. We worked our asses off, and here we are. It's awesome. That's uh, so good. I love it. That's so awesome. Is there anything on the flip side of that uh, that you now that you've done the whole thing that you wish that you had done a little bit differently that you'll like kind of mm-hmm. take that lesson with you now to the second one? Uh, I think that we didn't have as much time with people with the retreaters, the MFers, as I like to call them. Oh, yeah. Love <laughs> um, it. The MFers, I didn't get as much time with them as, as we wanted because the plates that Johnny created were quite elaborate. Like he did elaborate plated meals for two to three meals a day. And so a lot of our time was spent learning how to cook in the kitchen with Johnny and plating. Um, and I think that was appropriate for that environment. But for the next one, it's going to be much more casual, which I think suits the environment for the next one. So we can actually be sitting at the table and enjoying company. Um, just time. I just feel like more time with people is always what I want. Yeah, for sure. The same with you, Tim. Yeah. Not, not anything to add. Nice. Well said, dude. Well said. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up guys. Uh, cool. I know that you guys, uh, were, can you say specifically where, like I, you guys are there right <gasps> yes. now. Can you tell us about what the we second one is going to be? So we are announcing on Tuesday, November 1st. That's the right date, right? Yeah. Um, that the next movable feast will be movable feast Yucatan. We're on the Yucatan Peninsula. We have a really strong connection in our hearts and our minds to Mexico, and we love the Yucatan, and we cannot wait. It's just the most gorgeous, deep, complex place, and we cannot wait to share it with people. There's these these layers to the Yucatan where it's sort of got this like. Mexican mind with this like deep Mayan heart, but historically the Yucatan has had better relationships with Europe and probably still to this day than Mexico. So it has this sort of European, almost like opulence to it that, uh, being here, you get to eat the best food. Um, (laughs) apparently if I say best, anything, it comes out like Donald Trump. It's the best, it's the best food. (laughs) It's there. Um, but it's there's these this layers of vanilla and cacao and aloe and agave and these flavors all sort of come together and make uh, you know the right layers of acidity and spiciness and sweet and I mean that not only in a flavor like a food combo but also in life. Um, we think Mexico gets a bit of a bad rap for being um, like the food especially is um, simple or inexpensive and people look down on Mexican food and it's so complex and so thoughtful and real Mexican food is a real work of art. And we're so excited about it. We have a gorgeous hacienda in the jungle, ready to rock. It's just going to be awesome. Are you guys going to use the same chef as before or are you guys? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Definitely. the, The chef, because of, I mean, he said that movable feast in France was the best thing he'd ever done and is, is moving, uh, Finally, he's moving back to the States and he's moving to Austin, Texas, getting a job uh, at the most Mexican place he can find to uh, (laughs) To be ready to to, to just talk with folks and get ready. That's so great. So uh, for those of us listening, like totally not myself included, but let's say we're not uh, very geographically inclined and we don't Mm. have a map in front of us. Sorry about that. Where exactly is 
this location? So the Yucatan Peninsula is the little, uh, um, like, nubbin. Is that a, that's a weird thing to say. It's like the it's on the east coast of Mexico. I'm sure the people of the Mexico Yucatan would love that you call them yeah, the little nubbin. Yeah, they're gonna love hearing that. <laughs> um, no, it's where Mexico curves up, and it's like where Mexico starts to point towards Florida. Um, if you're looking at the map, it's um, it's, it's pretty much arrive in Cancun and drive east until there's no more big hotels. Okay. Yeah, away from. I think that Mexico also gets the characterization of like sunburned Australians on beaches, and you're just like, ugh. Like, I I really want people to see a more genuine Mexico than what the what the classic tourist traps present to you is like a beach vacation. Like, it's not that. Yeah. What's the climate like there? Is it a little bit more like uh, rainforesty, like Puerto Vallarta or something? Or is it like drought? Like, what does it look like? More rainforesty than Puerto Vallarta. Um, right now, it's what, October? It's the end of October and it's high 80s. It rains occasionally, but it's pretty perfect. Yeah. You get like <laughs> gorgeous a, sunsets every day. We're getting like a five minute downpour every day and then it clears up. And- there's nothing better uh, than that. Man, I love like tropical places like Thailand right? and like where you're at and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like give me heavy yeah. rain for like five minutes. Sun comes right back out. It's just great. Yep. Greenery yeah. everywhere. We're surrounded, we're surrounded by 16th century architecture and everywhere we've stayed has had like 18, 20 foot ceilings and lots of pools. And uh, it's it's the perfect place to sort of drink straight out of a coconut and, uh, and finally have uh, the true meaning of siesta. Love it, man. So these trips go for about a week. Is that right? Is the next one going to be a week mm-hmm. as yeah. well? Yeah. All right. Cool. So uh, tell everyone where they can go if they... Uh, <gasps> I know you guys don't have the information today. Oh, but actually, probably by the time this airs, you by guys will have... By the time this airs, yeah. we will have it up and ready for you. So okay. movablefeastretreats.com is where you can find all the good info. Cool. And you can see pictures from our past retreat in France, um, as well as all the information about the upcoming one, if you click on the word upcoming. Love it. We also, I would love to add that if you email us with a question, we will personally answer. I think we got a couple emails the last time that were like, weren't like they thought it was like a big factory of retreat organizers. And we're like, oh, we're just two people like doing a thing and we yeah. want to meet new people who totally. also want to do a thing. So, um, yeah, we'll be the ones answering you if you message us. Cool. Awesome. You guys, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the oh, show. Thank you. you guys are You're so awesome. awesome. This is great. Thank you. Uh, we will all check it out. Obviously, if we have the funds, we will be there because it sounds so, so, so good. Thank you, Blake. I really appreciate it. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you told a friend about it to help spread the word about the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a little while and been enjoying yourself, I would really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. That's a way that a lot of people learn about new podcasts. And the more reviews and the better reviews that a podcast gets, the more people that that podcast ends up in front of. So that would be a really awesome way to help the show. And if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, yeah, that's all fine and good, Blake, but uh, what are you going to do to help me out? Well, how about being a guest on Half Hour Intern? That is right. You could totally be a guest on this show. So if you have been sitting there listening to the show and thinking to yourself, you know what? I do this totally awesome thing for a living. Or you know what? I have this awesome hobby that I'm really, really passionate about and I would love to tell people about it. Go to halfhourintern.com and click on the Submit Your Ideas link at the top of the page. And through there, there will be forms that you can fill out to get in touch with me about the possibility of coming on the show and being a guest yourself on the Half Hour Intern Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening.